Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it. We talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. everyone and welcome. This week we're talking about eating disorders with Susan Osher. Susan is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and nutrition therapist with over 20 years of experience. Previously working with the renowned eating disorder treatment programs in Toronto at both SickKids and Toronto General, Susan transitioned in the early 2000s to founding her own private practice, Connected Eating. With a master's of nutrition from the University of Toronto, as well as a master's of education, Susan certainly has the credentials necessary to help her clients learn and grow. In addition to her practice, Susan has served as the Canadian chapter chair of the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals and the co-chair of the Eating Disorders Association of Canada. Susan, thank you so much for being here with us today. We so appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Elise, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I love talking about this topic and educating people. And so thank you for the opportunity. And I'm very impressed with your magazine for talking about this. So thank you for having me. Yeah, the whole point of this podcast is really to talk about the things that we don't often talk about. So we'd love to start off with, I know I just kind of rhymed off all your credentials there, but what is a little bit about your journey? How did you get started talking about eating disorders? So it's actually kind of funny because I I really went into eating disorders with not really realizing that I was going into it. I wanted to, my two two sisters are therapists and I wanted to become a dietitian. I wanted to, if there's a problem, this is what you need to eat. Here's your meal plan. And then I realized pretty soon that that's not at all what eating is about. When people come to see me, I usually say to them, it's a little bit like, hi, love to meet you. Lovely to meet you, Elise. Please take off all your clothes. That's how intimate and personal our eating is. So, um, I mean, with reflection on myself, I grew up in Johannesburg, which is very image conscious. And although I didn't have a full-blown eating disorder, I was very aware of what I was eating, what I looked like. And so 
it felt very resonant when I would speak with people in my internship and just knowing how my peers and people around were responding to food and their bodies um, really made me interested in this area. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because even when we said we were going to do this topic of eating disorders, I started to do some of my own kind of Googling and came across the term disordered eating, which we'll get to in a bit. But I think why this is such an interesting topic is because some of us might not realize that we don't have the greatest habits in that area. And it, it doesn't have to be a full blown, you know, anorexia, bulimia. It can just be how we think of food. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm excited to kind of dive into that today because I didn't, I didn't even have that mindset coming into this conversation. I'm like, Oh wait, this actually applies to everyone. Basically. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially now I was just going to say in Western culture, Yes. We've been yeah. given images, images, images all the time about what we should look like. And of course, what, you know, clean eating and especially with all the social media out there now mm-hmm. with pe- what people are, are having for lunch and the beautiful smoothie bowls and da, 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 da. And there's a morality around it as well. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember even when we were trained for body image a few decades ago, we used to, um, we used to show pictures of models you know, Cosmopolitan magazine. This is what they do. They airbrush them. Da da da. Fast forward to 2021. Mm-hmm. This is the girl next door. This is the guy next door. Right. Everyone is showing their images, and you're getting inundated with right. with ought to should like. And there's so little connection with the actual body. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because as you were saying it, I'm thinking back to when I grew up in the 90s. And you're right, there was an there was a perfectionism with body image and flipping through a magazine. And in a way, I almost feel like magazines and editorials have recognized that and tried to, I mean, not all successfully, but tried to kind of offer a more realistic image. But then but the other piece of that is that we have this world of influencers that are no longer the models. It is the neighbor next door and there's perfection there. And we're using filters and we're using, you know, all these altering techniques that it's almost in a way like we've we've contradicted the progress that we've made. Maybe is that fair to say? Absolutely. Cause there's no editor. Yeah. You know, as you're saying, like the media might've done, okay, let's realization. Let's use more bodies of all different sizes Mm -hmm. and colors and shapes but in our media and as you know with social media whatever you tap into you'll just get more of so if you're looking at those images you'll get it exaggerated and amplified yeah and it's it's unfiltered or as you say filtered in a way that is a certain angle or a certain look yeah and is very toxic yeah. Oh gosh. I just had like a little bit of a moment there. It makes so much sense. I've Cause I was having the conversation with one of my good friends the other day of how I feel like brands have done a better job of showing, you know, different bodies, like everything that you just said, but you're right. I never thought of like that, that other piece of it. So, so lots to talk about today then. <laughs> so let's start with, with the fact of, is it ever okay to talk about someone else's body? So it's interesting. Um, first of all, whether it's okay to talk to someone directly or behind your back. What you just asked me was, is it okay to speak about someone's body? First of all, the intention. Mm-hmm. What's your intention? Mm-hmm. So 
your question was, is it okay to talk amongst your friends about people's bodies? Um, in short, no. Mm -hmm. um, there's been studies done on what's called body talk or okay. fat talk. And it's interesting because um, when you are talking about bodies, whether it be people you know or people in the media, you actually feel worse about yourself. Okay. Even if you're hearing it, right? Okay. Even if you're a passive listener to it, within 20 to 30 minutes, studies show that people will start checking themselves, will body check, will check like how they're feeling. So if you're saying, um, I really, oh my gosh, this pandemic, I've like gained some weight and my pants are too, immediately people around you will hear that and check themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So the other comment I want to, other comment I wanted to make was, is it ever okay to comment to someone else about their body? And this is such a curious one because you would think that if your friend looks good, like you should say to them, you look really like you, you look sexy today or you're looking yeah. really good today or you're looking really healthy today or you really, or maybe you've, you look great. You know that your friend's gone on a diet and you say, Oh, you're looking like you've lost some weight. Mm -hmm. Those are really, really high risk messages. And it's very counterintuitive, right? I think about a story like that happened to me literally 20 years ago. I just moved to Canada pretty, I guess, insecure with being a new immigrant. And I'd gone to a barbecue. And within that barbecue, I didn't know anyone very well. Two people had come up to me. I was wearing a new pair of white pants. And two people came up to me and said, Susan, you look great. Have you lost weight? And I remember getting this initial like, oh, yay, someone's just complimented me on my outfit. And I remember walking towards the car as I left. And what flashed through my mind was, Susan, you better not gain any weight. People notice. Hmm. So when we're commenting on other people, to try and keep in mind the essence of someone. Mm -hmm. Someone looks like, like they've got a sparkle in their eyes or they look glowing mm -hmm. or that, you know, how you're feeling in their company. And it's so lovely to be with you and really getting away from appearances or I love that shirt that you're wearing, but not about what the body is looking like. When we're talking about, um, eating disorders or people really struggling with eating, even saying you look healthy is loaded. Hmm. Because if hmm. someone is seeing being thin as being sick enough, when you say to someone you look healthy, they hear, oh, I've gained weight. I'm looking really buxom. I'm really looking like, you know, a milkmaid in the Alps, some strong right. stuff. Like, like that's, it's, it's such a bizarre thing that, that happens but it's not really safe to make a comment about someone's body that makes sense because you i mean you're thinking of it as as the you know not necessarily commenting on you know th their weight but saying a, a you're thinking of it as positive and that you look healthy because that seems like a positive way to spin it but in reality yeah with with the just that kind of the way the mind works that isn't so Huh. Absolutely. And then yeah. said one other thing I want to add to it mm -hmm. is keeping in mind, this is a mental disorder. 
In other right. words, we can't mind read. We don't right. know what's going on, how much obsessionality, how much um, dread, how much guilt is going on in someone's head. So even if someone's looking better or looking, that sometimes can actually um, invalidate the struggle that they're still having. Mm. Even if someone's gone in for treatment and had weight restoration and they are looking much better, they look like, like death before, you might be stepping on dangerous territory if you actually comment on you look healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you, I guess first maybe a good place to start is how do we kind of, how do eating disorders develop? Like I'm assuming it's obviously this mental piece of it is a mental game over time, right? I would imagine. So there's a genetic component. There has been, um, there has been quite a bit of research looking at genes Um, and uh, genes like anything is a bit of a loaded gun. It certainly doesn't mean that because you might have a family history with eating disorders or even addiction or even anxiety. These are all areas where um, it is more more high risk. But um, it doesn't mean that you'll develop an eating disorder just because you've got that in your genes. But what generally happens is, um, let's use the pandemic for an example. Mm-hmm. We know that eating disorders have gone through the roof, both in severity and in in the amount of people who have developed eating disorders. And what really the common story is, is that there was a routine that changed, tons of uncertainty, no one knows what's gonna happen and structures being changed. So whether people were on basketball teams or going to dance classes or going to the gym, that stopped. And then there was like the fear of the pandemic and the, you know, the fifth, the, the, what are they calling them? The, 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 the COVID-15 that you're going to gain, oh, okay. with, right? So a whole lot of people became much more strict about their eating or got more interested in social media and saw they were just going to go healthy. Mm-hmm. And that brought the sense of uncertainty under control in many ways. And then it gets stricter and stricter and stricter. And the healthy becomes not only, oh, I'm not going to eat candy. I'm only going to have pizza on the weekend. It then becomes, well, I'm not doing this. Well, let me not have gluten. And you know what? I don't really need meat either. And then I'm going. And Mm -hmm. so it becomes stricter and stricter. And if someone's watching the weight and the weight's going down, you get a little thrill, a dopamine surge when the weight goes down. But usually it just fuels it. It's like, oh, I want that feeling again. So I want the weight to go down more. I want the strictness to get more intense. Now, I was just going to say, it makes total sense during the pandemic when you can control nothing. Mm -hmm. And food was the one thing that you could control, whether it was trying a new recipe or limiting it. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And in, in terms of the more, I think, common eating disorders. Can you speak to those and maybe give some definitions to what those look like and for, sure. for those of us that maybe aren't so aware? Sure. I'm going to say one thing, which maybe um, you didn't ask, but I'm going to add in. The yes, one biggest thing is that people in general think that people who have eating disorders often, and that is actually a complete misconception there, the, the amount of people who are actually underweight with eating disorders mm-hmm. is a small minority, right? Mm-hmm. It's like less than 1% have um, anorexia nervosa in the typical way that you'll say, oh my goodness, that person 
looks really thin. And it's a really important point to remember because so many people feel as if they're not thin enough to have an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So anorexia nervosa is the most classical one. It goes back to old texts. We can see it all in the history. And that is typically when you are um, you're at a lower weight um, than you should be, oftentimes weight loss. There's an extreme fear of weight gain. In other words, it's not about I want to get to a thinner weight. It's actually you're really afraid of gaining weight. So maybe someone gets to their ideal weight, but they paralyze there because they're just too scared to eat. And body image distortion is a big part of it. So being very underweight, but feeling overweight and needing to change the body. So your anorexia nervosa is seen as your classical eating disorder, the one that was first labeled. Then bulimia nervosa was added to the DSM where they keep the, it's like the compilation of mental illnesses, the American Psychiatric Association. So that's where a major depressive disorder is and anxiety disorder and schizophrenia. So eating disorders was actually changed to feeding and eating disorders, FED now it's called, in 2013. And bulimia nervosa has also been around since, I think it's the 1980s. It was recognized so that in bulimia, there's always a baseline of restriction. Um, in, in other words, wanting to change your weight. Mm-hmm. But... Um, there's compensatory behaviors. So if the diet gets blown, oh, I've eaten, I've eaten something like I've had a, a spoon of ice cream, I might as well eat the tub, that turns into a compensatory purge of something. Whether, and I don't want to talk too much of details because I don't want to give anyone exa- examples for suggestions to those who are vulnerable, but typically we think of vomiting, but it also includes exercise. Oh, I had an extra um, cupcake, so I better go on the treadmill for an extra hour, right? That's bulimia, right? So any compensatory behaviors is bulimia. More recently, two eating disorders were added to these feeding and eating disorders, which I think were really um, quite groundbreaking, which is binge, binge eating disorder was actually in the appendix, somewhere really far and difficult to find in the uh, in the DSM-4, the last version. Um, and I think it's very symbolic that it, it's a secret. It's not seen. No one talks about binge eating disorder because there's so much shame. It's something that we, we refer to as ego dystonic, meaning then in an anorexia and bulimia, you have a desire to be thin and you do actions, maybe life-threatening, but you do actions that actually are in sync, in step with that. In binge eating disorder, I can say from my experience, most of my clients are stricter with themselves than either people with anorexia or bulimia. They are so harsh. They are the strictest diets, the harshest restriction. And so when they actually land up binging, it's ego dystonic. It's like, I want to lose all this weight, but why am I eating so out of control? Mm. So that's only been really recognized more recently. And we know that the, the, and given that the hallmarks of binge eating disorder are, are um, secrecy and shame, I am convinced that the numbers are underreported, but we right. know that binge eating disorder are, is more prevalent than anorexia and bulimia combined. So it's right out there. It's across the board, male, female. Binge eating disorder is extremely prevalent. 
the other eating the feeding and eating disorder which is a really interesting one and an unbelievable number of clients that we're seeing in our practice is ARFID. ARFID is avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Once again, it wasn't really recognized before the 20th, 2013. I've never heard of it. Okay, keep going. <laughs> so it's interesting. It's a little bit different to the other eating disorders, the more classical eating disorders, in that it, um, it doesn't it's not linked into a desire to be thin. In fact, that's a differential diagnosis. If someone's um, wanting to be thin, they don't have ARFID most likely, or they've got a, a dual diagnosis. But what ARFID is, is such extreme picky eating that either people are on supplements or even tube feeding to get their nutrition, or they're underweight, or they're malnourished. And I just want to make a distinction between that. Sometimes... Many times, clients will be at a normal weight or even at a higher weight, but very malnourished, right? And typically, because typically what you'll see in ARFID is um, white foods. So you'll there'll be a lot of, um, you know, chicken fingers and pasta and grilled cheese, and but there aren't fruits and vegetables. So, so that's the most classical case. So they're very malnourished or... The last criteria is that they can't socialize. So they'll start being very avoidant. It's really like I'm, I'm working when, when I'm working with like young men, a very common um, presentation will be, or desire or motivation will be that they want to be able to go on a date without being freaked out that, um, you know, the date will ask wh which restaurant we're going to go to mm -hmm. because they can't eat. They can't eat socially. Right. So there's there and there's so much shame about that one, especially I'm finding with males. Like it's a secrecy thing because they're fine in other areas, but they've got this extreme avoidance of food and real fear. So that ARFID we see across the ages. And we also see it as more prevalent in males as a percentage compared to um anorexia or bulimia. Right. So um, it's an interesting one because it's very pervasive and very distressing. And it's really for anyone who's listening to this podcast, keep in mind that if your child looks, if you've got children and your child looks as if they like more picky than average, most preschoolers are picky. 78 percent are really picky. But if you're getting if you've got a child who's like super picky and you're really working around your child, you're making Tommy a special meal or taking food to a party or to, to a family dinner, you know, to make sure Tommy eats, uh, there may be a bigger problem that should be addressed because the longer it goes on, the more avoidant people become. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Can I ask in that, because obviously we, you know, there's different type of diets out there, whether it's plant-based or gluten, like, and we talked a little bit about, you talked about the genetic piece of it. Is there also like in the nature versus nurture debate, like also like a nurturing that could, could parents be contributing to like some of these disorders with the pickiness that they're maybe kind of putting on their child from an earlier age? Is that, are you seeing research around that? So um, I think you're asking maybe two different questions. Okay. 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 Because the one is about more restrictive diets and sort of being on a gluten-free diet or the keto diet or the, Mm -hmm. you know, intermittent fasting, all these ones that are really popular right now. Mm those those diets are particularly high risk for those who are vulnerable. When the family culture is something that food needs to be controlled and we need to be worried about food and we, you know, you can't really trust food and we can't have all foods. For those who are more vulnerable, that's absolutely going to be a nurture part, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say that in general, in diets, Many, Mm -hmm. many, many people that go on diets, Mm -hmm. not everyone develops a full-blown eating disorder, but it's a very high risk. 
It's a very, we know that it's one of the high risk factors for developing an eating disorder. What you, let me just, I'm splitting up your question if you don't mind, yeah. but what parents will often do with children around the pickiness is they know that offering new foods in an extreme picky um, eater will develop a lot of distress. So it will kind of, it will ruin the family meal. You know, if we're uh, using Tommy, um, fictitious person Tommy, but if Tommy is now eight years old and really doesn't not, like, like a lot of food and they've, you know, Debbie and Kathy, the other two siblings are also coming to the table. They actually don't want to spend the whole time. They just want to have a nice family meal. So they'll give the family another meal, but Tommy will get his plain pasta. So at least he eats something. Right. So in that way, it gets reinforced because the more we avoid food, the more scary it gets. Right. The avoidance actually will fuel that fear. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Is there, um, you know, you mentioned the one specific disorder being more prevalent in males. Is there a, a demographic of the population that do have are more prone to eating disorders? Like, is it female versus male? Is it certain ages or is it really, you know, not that's, is that not the case because it is a mental disorder? Well, I think um, it's important to, to really state that anyone can develop. Like you can't look at someone and say, you have an eating disorder, which I've already said, but you also, it it, it doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. So, it's across genders, races, socioeconomic, um, all ages, ethnicities across the board, sexual orientations for sure. However, there are definite, there are definite times that are, and I, I'm hesitating because I don't want to leave out exceptions, but I'm going to say with humility, I'm sorry if I'm leaving something out, but um, in generally speaking, females, generally speaking, I heard um, this a few years ago and I, I love it. It's like in the peas, those are the times that females are more vulnerable. So in puberty, in pregnancy, and in perimenopause, because what's happening in all these situations? We know that females bodies are changing. Yeah. Hormones are changing. Mood is changing, right? Mm -hmm. Those are all linked into it. So typically the most incidence of um, anorexia will be around pu um, puberty. That's yeah. when we're still seeing that because the body's changing and also underlying mental illness, like primarily anxiety, also maybe mood disorders like, like um, depression, those ones will also start showing themselves around those years with the hormonal change. So that's what happens with mental illness. So if we see an eating disorder for what I see an eating disorder or disordered eating, um, and I'll talk to that too, but when we see eating disorders as a maladaptive coping strategy, when things feel so overwhelming and you're also in the puberty years especially, when you start moving away from your family to peers as being the people that you need to fit into and be valued by, that's your perfect storm, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we start seeing much more in terms of eating disorders incidents and the prevalence of it. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. You touched a little bit on disordered eating. So I'd love to for you to kind of guide us through the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating, because I think a lot of us probably have some disordered eating habits. <laughs> okay. Thank you for your honesty, because I think you're absolutely right. I remember like, I mean, over the years, so many people have come up to me and said, Susan, you know, doesn't everyone have an eating disorder? And yes and no. You know, I think that no, not everyone has an eating disorder. I love food. I like cook a lot. I'm so unbelievably in awe of the human body. Our bodies are phenomenal. And I, I don't think everyone has an eating disorder. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. An eating disorder, as I said, is diagnostically significant. And um, it is in that big Bible of a manual of diagnoses. And once someone has a diagnosis, they get certain treatment privileges, if I can call it that. Um, Disordered eating means that we are still obsessed about food and body, right? Keeping in mind that this is a mental disorder. If you are thinking too much about food or you eat something and you feel really guilty or you're body checking and you're feeling really bad and that's determining your mood, you most likely have disordered eating. Mm. Maybe you even have an eating disorder, right? Most people who go for eating disorders treatment, most people don't believe that they are sick enough. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it's picked up as a medical complication oh, this person had electrolytes were abnormal or they've lost a lot of weight. And of course, those are relevant, but it's sometimes ignoring the fact that this is a mental illness, meaning that you aren't able to focus on anything or mood is really affected by what you ate and it's taking up way too much headspace. So whether that's eating disordered or disordered eating, I think it's about how much of your thoughts and feelings are determined by what your body looks like one day or even even allowing the flexibility of the body. Oh, I've got my period. I'm bloated. Okay, this is normal. Right. I had a big bowl of cabbage soup. I'm really right. like, you know, I've got lots of farts and I'm bloated. Well, that's normal. Okay, our bodies are flexible. That's yeah. what happens, right? And not moralizing it and feeling bad and needing to do something. If that's prevalent and affecting you there may be there may be something that's worth really validating for yourself because it means that it's you could you could be having a richer life without such punitive thoughts and feelings right right and now when we talk kind of I guess moving into disordered eating is emotional eating a disordered eating or is that something that's totally different so emotional eating is absolutely disordered, but I am going to say something which I'm going out on a limb here, okay? Because I know I've been I've been uh, challenged on this in professional okay. in pro- professional form- forums. Emotional eating is absolutely normal, right? Think about it. We've just had Valentine's Day, right? um, or we're going to be having I don't know the next festival. Yeah. What do we do? Birthday parties. We celebrate, we buy a cake, we buy chocolate. We have, that's not because our bodies really need that. It's emotional. 
Oh, that's so true. Yeah. I bought a birthday cake the other day for someone. And yes, you're right. I guess that's an emotional kind of thing, right? Okay. Exactly. Sorry to interrupt you, Elise, but I was going to say, like, I know one of my emotional things is I'll go and make a latte. I used to run to Starbucks. If I had like a, a, a very stressful afternoon, I would like go there and buy my totally overpriced coffee because this was my like, oh, this is my self-care. I'm not doing that. You were speaking to me that I never drink coffee coffee for like I never drank coffee till I turned 30 and then I think it was just like the job I was in and my coffee became my like moment and I didn't even like it you know what I mean but it was just my time yeah so okay right and so it's that like little bit so emotional eating I think to some degree is completely normal right where the disordered eating comes is that level of guilt okay right and I think that's the big differential And if I can circle back to what I said about binge eating disorder, binge eating disorder, as um, we didn't go into details, but it is a sense of loss of control. It's eating really rapidly, secretly, and eating much more than sort of normal. But what's interesting is if someone doesn't feel distressed afterwards, in other words, if someone goes to, I don't know, uh, back in the day when we used to go to actual restaurants, and when you go to a buffet and you like, eat and you take your plate back four times and you're like, oh, I've eaten so much, but you don't feel guilty about it. That's not binge eating disorder. If you feel badly about what you've eaten, that's disordered. When you start having that self flagellation and you're feeling awful about yourself and you're beginning to plan what you're going to do maybe or you tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to eat cleaner or I'm going to eat less or I'm going to do some exercise that's getting into the realm of eating disorders it's in other words it's the intention behind it is it coming from a place of self-care and self-loving or is it coming from a place of punitive and trying to manipulate the body and try and change it that's where I would say is the differential between mm-hmm. um, what sort of normal emotional eating mm-hmm. and where it gets sort of into the realm of I'm really making you feel bad. It's amazing how much what you've really driven home for me today is how mental it is, right? Because you, you like you said, you could go to that buffet and eat everything and, and feel fine. And so then that's not disordered, but it's that kind of how you that feeling or what your mind says after that I guess which is really really interesting so if we if we encounter I mean just hearing you today I'm kind of like going through you know what my reactions are to things if we do think we have a form of disordered eating or or uh, you know full eating disorder what are some we always like to say now that we've talked about it what are some like actions one can take around that is it some mind techniques or, or mental health techniques you could do for yourself obviously we could go see someone like yourself but what are what are those courses of action Thank you for asking that because I think the one thing that I've been like thinking, when is Elise going to ask me this or when am I going to be able to put it in? (laughs) (laughs) Eating disorders has got the highest, now listen to this well, the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Wow. And that's every time I say that I can feel it right now, I I actually get the shivers. Yeah. Because what it means is that more than depression, schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, more people die from eating disorders than any other mental illness. And that's horrific. That's massive. Yeah. Okay. So my first message is don't 
Don't undermine it. Don't invalidate it. Don't invalidate your own feelings. Okay, mm. maybe, maybe. I'm, not, I'm saying maybe. You don't have a severe eating disorder as someone else who you see in the media, media or someone, you know, the neighbor's child's cousin who's got a, you know, an eating disorder who's in the hospital. Maybe it isn't as severe, but it's real. Mm-hmm. And silence is the biggest problem. So the first thing I would say is being able to recognize it, to being able to see that there's been a change. We know that from the emotion dysregulation, just feeling more anxious, as we spoke about at the beginning of the pandemic, we've had such unpredictability, such an increase in mental illness in general. And this is a way that we cope. It's maladaptive, it's self-harming, but it's a way we're coping. So it's an important piece to do a lot of self-care and to be able to make sure as a sort of just as a go-to, are you eating enough? Are you eating three meals and snacks every single day? Have you justified to yourself that it's fine, I don't eat breakfast, I've never been a breakfast person. No, that's actually not normal. It's not normal, right? Are you get, Are you following um, ways of eating that are extremely restrictive and they're fine when you're following them and they're not if you don't? And if you're finding that the answers to some of these questions, that something's changed in someone that you know or yourself, it's important to seek help. Medic is a a wealth of information, the National Eating Disorders Information Center, and they've got a hotline. You can call someone there. They can refer you on if need be, or you can get um, access to webinars. Um, Certainly at Connected Eating, we do our best. We're offering free support groups now during COVID. We've got counseling. Um, There's also webinars. And I'm always, I'm like passionate about helping people. If there's ever a support group or or a subject that people are interested in, I'm so interested in helping. And so generally, you know, website, Connected Eating is a good one to look at, or the Instagram account at um, at Connected Eating. Um, But in terms of yourself, um, being able to recognize, first of all, and validate that you might be struggling and validate what you're needing, what this might be about, that you're turning into exercise, you're turning to exercise, you're turning to eating, or you've become really harsh, or noticing that it's getting worse and worse, that it's become more severe that you're unable to stop, that it has got that taste of obsessionality on the pun. But, you know, it's become much more of a drive that's linked into perfectionism rather than coming from self-care or even, you know, just even being interested in health. Like this health Mm -hmm. is a code word for restriction because it usually is, right? Can you eat flexibly? Can you eat socially? Can you be able, can you go and eat more and feel fine? Or can you go to people without worrying what's on the, on the menu? Right. right. If the answers are uh, not really, then probably things have gone worse. And don't judge yourself. Mm-hmm. This is a time of, you know, unbelievable uncertainty. And if anything was there before, or even if it wasn't, it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. The self-care for sure, making sure, I mean, you know, if you had good eating habits before that were adequate, go back to them, make sure that you're sleeping enough, that you're giving yourself, you know, use enough um, body lotion, make sure that you're 
listening to music that soothes you, allow yourself to connect with people in obviously pandemic appropriate ways with mm-hmm. social distance and all the rest of it but get outside now that the weather's getting a little bit better so that we can hear the birds chirping and get sunshine and make sure that you are connecting to real people to real souls to essence of people and not what is one of the um the hallmarks of the pandemic which has been such an explosion of social media which a reminder these are images. Mm-hmm. They aren't reality. Mm-hmm. They're not deep connection, not deep emotional connection that we as human beings need. So long answer to a short question, maybe, but that's what we're needing to do. Recognize it, connect in very real ways and do real self-care mm-hmm. and reach out to people. If you're having, if you're having, um, if you're suspecting having a, a more complicated time, it might be getting more severe. And if you see someone, if it's not you, but if you see a friend or loved one that you think is experiencing some of these things, what's the best verbiage, I guess, to use for to approach them in ter- terms of how to get help? I'm so glad that you're picking it up because you bring that up because it's such a hard one. Yeah, people like you know, you know, will skirt around it, don't really say anything, but to to be silent is almost being an accomplice Mm -hmm. you're actually noticing something and most likely if someone isn't ready to get feedback or work on their eating disorder they will deny it and you may risk a period of you know like distance from that person Mm -hmm. but the chances are they're deep in a hole and they're desperately needing someone to recognize that something's going on. So to say to someone and, and give them the reasons why you're worried, right? Mm-hmm. I've noticed that you're not eating together with with us. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that it looks as if, you know, you're, you're, you're not looking so well. Um, you may, you know, are you struggling? And it's been such a hard time. Is there anything that I can do to help? Like that type of um, that type of concern, and really checking in with yourself. Why are you why are you approaching someone? If it's coming from the right place, that you're deeply worried about someone, that you're concerned that there is a problem, you're not going to make a mistake. Right. Even That's if the words point. are clumsy, even if right. it's wrong, even if you say the wrong words, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You've reached out. You've said, I see you. Yeah. I noticed you're not alone. Yeah. So important. So got such a, uh, kind of a strong moment, I think, to end the conversation on, right? There's so there, well, there's such feelings of loneliness right now. And so I think even just that, if you, if you do see someone else in your life, just kind of saying that brings someone into you a little bit more, right. And, and can probably start a more serious conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you're bringing in loneliness because being isolated and alone is so much part of eating disorders. Yeah. Living in this like hell of what's going on in your mind and you feel alone. You don't, no one understands you. You're trying to stay away from people to protect your behaviors. So it's a really lonely place. 
Mm-hmm. So I love that you're saying that, Elise. Well, thank you so much, Susan, for being here with us today. If people want to find more information from you, where can they look? I think you mentioned a couple of resources there, but if you want to reiterate where we can find you. Thank you. Um, so my website is um, www.connectedeatingoneword.com and um, Instagram as well, um, at Connected Eating. Um, is also the other place that you'll hear all about. I mean, different issues linked into eating disorders, a lot of education and anything that we're doing in terms of webinars or support groups or programs. We've also got an intensive outpatient program, which is the only one in Ontario in the community for people who are feeling as if they need a little bit more than even if you are seeing someone for an eating disorder, like maybe you're seeing your dietitian and your therapist and your doctor, but you're needing someone who's actually going to help you with the food part, the actual eating your meals, getting through them, getting the meal support and the meals themselves, um, you can actually get that through connected eating as well. So um, please like just circle back. You're welcome to reach out and it was such a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. Oh, thank you so much. And we'll continue the conversation online at Style Canada as well. So thank you, Susan. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosa 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.